Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Good morning. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast. I am here with Kevin Burns, a production engineer with Three Bear Energy. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Thanks. So we're camped out here at Brew Street in Midland, and you and I actually randomly met here a few weeks ago. I was having coffee with my former boss, and we were kind of talking saltwater disposal wells and earthquake myths and geology, and you said, hey, I do this stuff. Can I kind of crash your conversation, right? And I'm really glad you did. So you want to kind of give people that are listening a little bit of background on you and, and what you're doing these days. So my background, I kind of broke out in the oil field back in 2010, working for Barry Petroleum, doing production work while going back to school, actually getting my engineering degree at the time. Because you have how many kids? So now I have seven. But at the time, time when I broke out, we only had two. Oh, okay. That was easy. Yeah, we only had two at the time. And we actually had two more while I was going through school, which <sighs> which was crazy. We pretty much obliterated our social life at that time, mm-hmm. my wife and I, and just focused on our family and school and work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, from there, I went over to Bopco after I finished my degree, spent a lot of time with them drilling production facilities focused on saltwater disposal and gathering for them, Okay, which is really great experience. The way Bopco runs things. It really kind of puts you in the middle of everything, and you're kind of responsible for everything as an engineer. You don't right. You're not focused on one little particular niche area. Right. You get a bigger picture. Yeah, and and then they kind of just put it on you, which is great as an engineer. You know, you're kind of like your own superintendent when you're in the drilling side. You know, you're the guy that guys on the rig call. They don't call some drilling superintendent that oversees a bunch of rigs first. They call the engineer first. So you're the one responsible to take the calls at. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., middle afternoon, yeah, date night with your wife. Yeah, right? You know, so. Yeah. I just went to well control school a couple weeks ago and have a whole new respect, I'll tell you, for the guys that are out there trying to bleed out a kick. Yeah. It's tough work. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. It, it really can. It's it's crazy. Fishing is even more fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. I bet. I bet. <laughs> so kind of what we talked about and what I think is so interesting right now is saltwater disposal wells and kind of the public perception, if we can go there, of the correlation between saltwater disposal and earthquakes. So is it fair to say that in your opinion, that there is some correlation in certain places in the U.S.? And I think one of the places we talked about was Oklahoma. So as a whole, there's always going to be a correlation between any activity and geology to seismic activity based off, you know, fault lines in the area, just the how geology was developed over time you know historically in those specific areas you know the geology in oklahoma is different than the geology in new mexico it's different than the geology near the gulf right the time periods are going to be the same but how all that developed over time is going to be different right you know the rockies were developed from the seafloor going underneath california and uplift you know and and the rock coming together and pushing up so you know you can see proof of 
the Appalachian Mountains in Oklahoma and even in the Llano uplift yeah. area. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different ways that geology kind of lays out there, works, and, and how it reacts to different pressure changes, you know, because really at the end of the day, it's the geomechanics that affect all that. Right. So. And so right now, how is Texas permitting saltwater disposal wells? So from what I've been told, because I've actually been in Texas in probably a few months now, okay. actually, and they've been really kind of watching the seismic activity in the areas, and they've kind of prohibited a any kind of permitting of disposal wells within a radius of any known seismic activity, seismic event. Okay. And then thus reducing the options for companies that are out there looking to dispose of where they can place these wells. Right. And then even then, on top of that, they're potentially limiting the volumes and pressures that they can use to inject water into these wells. And they, I think they're coming out, either they just did or they're about to publish new rules for you know, kind of the permitting, the saltwater disposal permitting process. And I did not read up on those before this morning, but I did see a couple of weeks ago that they were publishing new rules. And when we were here last time, one of the guys that was sitting and talking with us was talking about the kind of assumption of extending faults in perpetuity, right? Correct. Kind of towards the, towards the sky from whichever, from wherever they are. And so I guess... Is it fair to say that from your perspective, what you've seen is a tightening of the requirements or, in other words, it may be harder to get a permit now than it was a few years ago? Oh, definitely. For example, where my space is mostly, they've just actually passed some new rules where spacing, you know, requirements are technically a mile. Okay. But they really get you at one and a half miles. Hmm. New Mexico plays in the space of rules and guidelines. And guidelines aren't required, but they're kind of like, if you really want us to evaluate you, you need to really follow these guidelines. Right. You know, these are rules, but these are the guidelines we expect you to follow. And right. and so your AOR, your area of review, has now become two miles, even though really technically you're only held to one mile. And, and so you have to evaluate seismic events, other SWDs, production, all that stuff. Are they including... P&Aid wells or, you know, every, if, if, when you're doing your AOR, is it every hole in the ground essentially, or is it only saltwater disposal wells and seismic activity? It's primarily actually production, oh, okay. seismic activity, and other SWDs. Okay. In addition, they want to know where other freshwater sources are at near your SWD Makes for sense. risk of potential contamination due to surface casing issues and stuff like that. But they're not as worried about P&A wells because historically, where we're playing a lot of P&A wells are probably older wells and they're a lot more shallow. And the, the production zones have actually probably been turned into potential injection zones for not just disposal, but for EOR projects. Right. So. Right. So what's the typical depth of the saltwater disposal wells? Are they going in and drilling new wells? Or are they taking old producing wells and converting them to injection wells? So both, both. Both. And the depths vary. So like in New Mexico and even down in Texas, there's a big push to reduce and or potentially eliminate Delaware disposal wells just because of the issues it creates while drilling through the Delaware. So are you actually pressuring up those zones? Yes, yes. So, you know, those zones historically were depleted to some point or, or not even produced. So, for example, the Delaware wasn't really a target zone for a while, and, and all of a sudden it became a target zone, especially with this new unconventional 
resource play coming in. Right. You know, and so historically the Delaware, even sometimes the Capitan and other shallow zones were used as disposal zones when there wasn't a lot of activity. And as you drill through these zones, you get a lot of water influx. You tend to have pressure change issues that could result in losses, lost circulation. Just a lot of other factors that affect that. You know, it can affect your cement, your casing program. Now you have to run an extra strain of casing to protect you from that pressurized zone while you're drilling through, say, some lower pressure zones to mitigate, you know, dealing with a kick and a loss at the same time. Right. You know. Yeah. That sounds not fun. No. No. (laughs) No, it isn't. So... It makes it difficult for a lot of people, and that's that's where a lot of this push comes from. And then, you know, essentially the Delaware, a lot of people producing, it's almost kind of like a delayed water flood now with a lot of the injector wells in there pushing a lot of that fluid to certain areas. That's my own personal terminology. Yeah. That's not some official terminology right. by any means, but in, in some senses it's just a delayed water flood. We've spent time injecting into it for years and years, and then all of a sudden, okay, well now we're ready to produce it. Right. So, so from my perspective, from kind of the legal and the risk management I think there's kind of two issues. One is making sure that your target zones for injection, it actually stays there, right? That you're not migrating into other zones. But kind of long-term, what I'm interested in is the commingling of fluids. And so, you know, we see all of these proprietary fluids with fracking and completions, and then you're taking the water, they're disposing of it, and... Oil Company X and Oil Company Y and Oil Company Z all use Joe Blow's saltwater disposal. He goes and picks up the water from their sites. He takes it to his disposal well. He injects it all. And then 20 years from now, say someone comes in and says, oh, whatever fluid, you, you know, whatever component was in the fluids that you were using, they've now been mixing. We've got bad chemical reactions or you've damaged my property. I'm not saying that it's legitimate. Right. But I'm saying that anytime people see a potential for litigation and money, there's an incentive to sue. And right now where you've got landowners or mineral rights owners who are reaping the rewards of royalties from oil and gas production or even just surface leases for pipeline right of ways and, and, and things like that. When that dies down and there's not as much money coming in, then they look for ways to get more money. And we've seen it in Louisiana with what we call the legacy litigation. And people have heard me talk about it, but essentially it's, you know, operators from time memoriam are jointly and severally, or as we say in Louisiana, solidarily liable for any type of contamination that happened. Even non-operating working interest owners, if you had a non-operating working interest in a well in Louisiana at any point in time, and they sue because there's groundwater contamination or old pits that they say weren't properly remediated, that 1% non-operating working interest owner can be held responsible for the entire cleanup costs. And back years ago, it used to be limited to the value of the property. So if you were in southwest Louisiana in the swamp, you know, $1,500 an acre, 2000 whatever it was, that's what everyone expected their maximum responsibility to be. Now they're saying, oh, no, not only is it not capped at the value of the land, you have to come in and remediate it to current day cleanup standards, essentially. And so Texas does, hasn't seen anything like that that I'm aware of. And I think that there was maybe a few years ago some people that tried, but there also hasn't been any the same amount of prolonged subsurface 
injection that's had so much publicity, right? We've been injecting salt water for years and years, but it seems like more recently with the earthquakes and, and the publicity that this is kind of, I don't know, what's the, you know, fracking up in the Northeast when people were claiming that fire was coming from their faucets, right? And so now what's the next thing going to be? And it's always trying to predict that. So what can we do now as operators from from kind of classifying our water and making sure that we keep track of who it goes to and where it goes to making sure that you have the proper insurance. So do you see anyone out there that's actually talking about this or is this my just crazy paranoid lawyer or any of the operators? Because I tell operators this and they're like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. So generically speaking, most operators in Texas and in New Mexico are actually required to provide bonding whether it's a blanket bonding right. as a company as a whole or individual bonding for each asset well. But what is it, 50000 a well or something? It's $50,000 a location. Okay. You know, how that works for, you know, remediation and stuff, I couldn't really tell you because I haven't had to spend a lot of time in right. many land. It, it can be expensive, though, especially, you know, with state land and BLM land. They have a lot of strict regulations, and they make you meet their specs and standards. Right. And so... You tend to have insurance and you tend to have bonds in place to help kind of cover that. The bonds are really more for the state that they have to come back in later on and do it right. right. Whereas insurance and stuff helps you with that at the current time and right. you track your costs and hopefully insurance covers most of that. But I know there have been spills, right? There have been right. large spills and produced water, which, you know, a lot of people see as more dangerous than, say, an oil spill out here in West Texas, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and so you just kind of take care of it as you need to. And I think as far as your concern with people finding ways to make money off the industry, I don't think that's ever going to go away, obviously. Right. And as far as like the injection intervals, the, where that's going, it's so deep, right? But you're talking about almost, you know, two to three miles deep. Right. In, in, or four. Right. You know I mean, some of these wells are going 20,000 feet. Wow. Yeah. You know, and so if you think about the historic migration of oil and gas just over time, I mean, the only place that you really see the surface is in Canada, right? In Canada or California, right? The La Brea Tar Pits, pits, you know, and the shallow, heavy steam floods that they have to do out there in Bakersfield area. So, you know, it takes a long time, you know, for fluids. And and, and, and that's your lighter fluids, right? Right. If you think about the specific gravity of oil and gas compared to water, you know, and then plus you have a lot of geological zones that are barriers, natural barriers that don't allow the migration through them. Right. And so I think, you know, as the industry evolves and with technology and design, I think it's become less of a factor. I think if that was going to be an issue, you would have probably seen that more historically with roughly the wildcat era with how they designed wells and done things, you know, so. I hope. Yeah. So... Kind of, you know, on that technology standpoint, we were t- we were kind of joking about Wellview earlier before we started recording, and I said it looked like the 1990s. You know, it's funny because as an industry, we're kind of slow. Is it fair to say? I think it's fair to say we're kind of slow at appreciating and adopting change, and we're really good at saying, "Well, it's worked. Th- it's worked for us thus far. Why change it?" and I actually got into a LinkedIn nasty gram debate the other day with some guys because a girl that sells technology said, if you're not on social media today, you're going to be left behind. 
And I'm sure I'm going to get some. I saw that post. I, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail for this. And I said, "Go figure." A bunch of old white dudes that want to do things the same way that it's always been done. And then, of course, a bunch of old white dudes commented that I was racist and ageist and all this, right? And look, it was a lazy way of saying, historically, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? right? But I also said, if you're not careful, you're going to be holding something that it may not be broken, but it's completely obsolete. And so what we've now got technology to help with recycling and minimizing saltwater disposal. And look, I mean, water is a scarce resource, right? Freshwater especially. Out here in West Texas, I mean, you wouldn't know it today. It's been pouring down rain, and it's, what, the wettest season we've had in years out here. But regardless... We don't have just an unlimited source of fresh water. Well, and it's not that great. Right. <laughs> the quality of water is not that great either. Right, right. My grout at home, despite the water softener and all that, it's still struggling to keep up. But so, you know, there's so many opportunities, I think, for innovation in alternatives to disposal, making disposal. And, and I had somebody the other day that told me she's a chemistry PhD in chemistry. And she said, right now, people are, they have a chemical that they like, and they just mix it until it gets to the point where they need it to be. Instead of being site-specific and looking at the chemistry of the water and then adjusting the chemicals that you add to fit the water that you actually are presented with, which is what we should be doing, and then it's a whole lot easier to get the solids out and to actually recycle the water. But again, People have said, well, I've got my my chemical guys that I like, and this is the mix that we use. And it doesn't matter if we're in the Eagleford or if we're in Pecos, right? This is the chemical mix that we like. And so I think that's a really simple place to start is to say, okay, instead of just mixing the chemicals the way we've always mixed them or because there's a relationship with that chemical person, let's look at your site-specific water and mix the chemicals so that it's easier to clean it and recycle it. So there's there's trade-offs to that, right? You know... Yes, we need to think about the future and going forward and technology, but at the same time, the relationship part is huge, especially in this industry, because you got to be with somebody you can trust. Absolutely. Right? I haven't been around long, that long. I mean, I've been doing this for a little, about 10 years now, eight years, and at the end of the day, technology isn't what makes the whole. Right. Technology isn't what, it's the people, right? Yep. And you got to have people you can trust. And and so you got to you got to be really careful about that. There's no absolutes, right? You know that's that's what I thought was funny about that post because I did see that post too. Yeah. And I'm not the young guys anymore, but I'm also not some of those little guys that have been around right. a while either and had the mentality of this is the way we've always done it. Don't don't mess with my process. Right. And so you know I think we just need to be really careful and look at it as a whole. Right. That, that's, I think that's been the hardest part about this industry, right? So everybody had their niche market, even in the water space alone, right? You, you bring up chemical, for example. Like, well, this is the chemical I like here for SWDs. Well, no one looks at the whole process. Well, your water starts here at the, produ- at the wellhead. Right. Goes through a production facility, through a pipeline, maybe truck, SWDs. You know, somewhere along the way, it may go to a frack job in between or after the SWD, you know, after right. hits SWD. It depends on the way that people process it. Well, no one, you don't have one person looking at the process as a whole. How can we make this better? How, how What am I doing here that's saving me five cents that's costing that guy 10 cents? Right. You know, that's our company, right? right. You see it in operators. Yeah, you all know, the time. All the time. You know, this guy's responsible for the pipeline, this guy's responsible for the production battery, this guy's responsible for the SWD, and this guy's responsible for the frack water. And everyone's trying to make themselves look good instead of helping the company as a whole. Right. And I think it's a really tough challenge to balance technology that way because technologies 
are great, but you got to make sure they don't offset each other either, right? Right. You know, I look at technology for an SWD or gathering system. Is it doing something that's potentially hurting? Fortunately, I have the benefit. I'm just a midstream guy. I don't own the frack job, but, you know, am I just so focused on my area that I'm missing something that could be helping that guy as well? Right. Or am I doing something unintentionally that impedes progress? Or right. and changes something. At the same time, I like that. There's another post. A guy was talking about chemistries, right? And he actually made a post. And he's the first person I've seen that talks about the porosity of the reservoir you're injecting into and so forth. But this out here, we're, we've become such a manufacturing process in general. Yeah, we like to talk about we're engineering this and engineering that. And we kind of are to an extent. But really, at the end of the day, we become almost a manufacturing process out here in the Permian. Right. I was going to say, we're not really wildcatting much no. out here anymore, right? No, right. <laughs> and so people don't spend a lot of time on the SWDs of saying, well, what is the geology really like here? I could tell you from my experience that the rock, you know, is not as porous, say, in the center of the basin as it is as you start climbing out. You know, excuse me, opposite. The rock is more porous and probably thicker in the central part of the basin. As you start climbing out of the basin towards the northern basin platform or central basin platform, it may get tighter. Yeah. And so, you know, how how much money you spend on chemistry can be dictated by that. People would spend time looking, hey, over here, the rock is a little bit thicker, so I don't need to get it as clean as I would over here to keep my injection up. Right. You know, what is... You know, not just the amount of porosity that I have, but what is just actual, you know, my true pore size. You know, could we have just taken a couple extra core samples on this well, really seeing what it is and really determine, you know, the solid distribution size we can or cannot accept and, and keep our cost down? Or it's worth it to us to spend an extra five to 10 cents a barrel, just a little extra chemistry because we're in a tighter area to keep the fluids a little bit cleaner than what we normally would elsewhere right. to keep the well alive. Well, and how know? somebody's paying for the rights to dispose will dictate whether or not that's beneficial to them, right? So if they're guaranteed so many barrels a day and it's not their problem, (laughs) if your pores are getting clogged, right? They're like, well, I don't want to spend any more money. And so kind of looking at it, I, I really like what you said about kind of as a big picture life cycle of the water and saying, okay, it may be five or 10 cents here, but we'll save it on the back end if we're doing this right. And not only that, we'll help with public perception. And one of the things that I'm always preaching of is an industry we need to be better at is advocating for ourselves and standing up for ourselves and being proud of what we do and the service that we provide and the products that we provide. Because so often, you know, court of public opinion is oil and gas is bad. You know, all those West Texas hillbillies that don't care about the environment, which is just flat out not true. And we need to get better at, at sticking up for ourselves and saying, look, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And, you know, we're, we're here and we're proud instead of being so reactive. Well, right. Because, I mean, even if you think about it at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit us to be lazy about how we do things. Right. Because we've made large investments in these assets, whether it's gathering systems, disposals, production wells, whatever. Right. It doesn't benefit me to have to shut that well in because I now have a casing leak because I cut a corner. Right. That costs me more money than it saves me. Right. You know, and and people need to understand that we're a business. Yes, we're a business. So our goal is to make money for our business. But our goal is to make money for our business. So we don't want to do it so poorly that we no longer make money either. Right. Right. So, and we're always trying to make ourselves better. Yeah. I have the fortunate benefit of guys that technically, I guess you can call them competitors. We, We talk a little bit. Not nothing super trade secret or anything, but we our goal is to make ourselves better as just an SWD part of the industry. Right. You know, not not even outside of dealing with the politics, even outside of dealing with the Road Commission or the OCD or the BLM or 
whoever. whoever. We we want to make ourselves better. What are you seeing here? What are you seeing there? You know, hey, have you seen this new thing? You know, it seems to do really well. You know, so, so kind of what fails. do you think that that is right now for 2019, 2020? Do you see? Is there a technology? Is there? You know, I've seen a lot lately. People are caring about lightning protection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Storm <laughs> season. Storm season. You know, kind of if you had, I asked some people, I said, if you had a crystal ball, you know, where do you think the saltwater disposal is going in the next two years, 10 years kind of thing? Just kind of parting words of wisdom, if you could predict. So it'll always be here. I I think production is going to continue to have water associated with it as long as we continue to plan these unconventional reservoirs. Right. And the older the well, the more water. Right. And so that's not going away. But I do see... The growth of SWD is probably slowing down with the push to recycle more produced water. You'll probably start seeing people commingling SWDs with, say, recycle facilities, right, where hopefully the majority of that water is getting recycled, and then whatever they can't recycle, they're, they're pumping down whole. Also, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more permanent infrastructure and reduction in trucking due to this because that's going to be the most efficient way to recycle. Just unfortunately, it just... With the, capital, with the capital and the right-of-way constraints, it's, it's going to take a while. And so one of my friends sent me a text yesterday that said API was going to come out with some flex hose standards. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I'm going to have to look it up, and we'll, we'll come back and chat about it again. But I think you're going to see some you – know, I know that there's been some issues with flex pipe and overseas manufacturing. And now with tariffs, I imagine we're going to have to start getting creative on how that – goes in so that you know we're not 25% more expensive on on our products. So, well, thank you so much Kevin for joining me. Thank you for and having me. And if people want to get in touch with you or ask you questions, what's the best way for them to reach you? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn okay. would probably be the best way. And what I'll do guys is in the show notes, we'll have a little bio for Kevin and then we'll have a link to his LinkedIn page. So, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay. If you guys could do me a favor and like leave a review for this podcast. That's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues. Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before heading into the events on deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th. 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help redeemed ministries with our long-term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. 
So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers, Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd. It's where the deals happen. Mm-hmm. 